0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Recording. All right. And here we go. With home security, there is, oh, that's not how you speak English. <clears throat> Restart. <clears throat> uh-huh. Unique New York. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to come over to a messy installation and it's going to cost a small fortune. Okay, that's way number one. Now, way number two is the other way, the better way, simply safe. And that's simply with an I. Simply safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award-winning protection. It's the two-time winner of the Cena Editor's Choice Award, and it blankets your entire home in safety. Welcome to the future. Robots, dogs, guns. You don't need any of those because you have comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Criminal, I see you. Entry, motion. Glass break sensors, they all guard the inside. You barely notice it's there. And guess what? You can actually set the entire system up all by yourself, and it only takes 30 minutes to an hour tops. And it's only 50 cents a day. No contracts. And it's why The Verge calls Simply Safe the best home security system. Go to SimplySafe.com team today, and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You got nothing to lose. So go to simpli slash team team go Steelers! Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Go
1: Steelers! we inch closer and closer to the moment of truth If the issuance of a schedule foreshadows the actuation of a real season, we just might be in business. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios at the Washington, D.C. Outpost. And Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And indeed, a schedule has been issued, which we're going to spend a little time on.
0: We have schedule. We have football. It's guaranteed. So you and I have been going back and forth uh, about this since the schedule has come out. But obviously, the NFL doesn't know if the entire schedule will be played out um, to its fullest. There might be games that are moved due to COVID restrictions in states with denser populations and, and bigger outbreaks, such as you know New York and, and certain parts of California and uh, who knows what it's going to look like, but I do think it's a good idea to actually put the schedule out and be like, hey, here's what we're aiming for. We're going to get as close to this as we possibly can. And the NFL, um, at least if you've heard uh, some of the national outlets like Pro Football Talk has um, said, listen, we're talking to people behind the scenes, and they were initially scared that the NFL wasn't going to have a season or a full season, and now – Apparently, the confidence behind the scenes is very high, and they, uh, that confidence is high because apparently the testing is going to be much more freely available at that time. Do you think it was a, a good idea for them to release that schedule in full, Dad, just to get the ball rolling, even though that they might have to make s- some changes to it?
1: Indeed. I believe, Do you it believe, a believe good in a <laughs> You know who I believe in? I believe in the NFL. Oh. The NFL runs the country. <laughs> well, Guaranteed this is this season will go forward as scheduled by uh the schedule that was just issued.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're guaranteeing the whole thing's gonna stay the same.
1: Like Joe Namath ascending to a Super Bowl, he had no chance of winning. I guarantee a full twenty twenty NFL season.
0: Or like um Thou, whose name shalt not be spoken's cousin, uh, Hollywood Brown, just guaranteed a Super Bowl win for the Ravens one year after Earl (laughs) Thomas guaranteed a Super Bowl win for the Ravens. saw how that worked out for them. By the way, the same Earl Thomas who just got caught in an orgy with his (laughs) brother and their friends, who they do orgies with, I guess. Yeah, did you hear that story? Uh, Earl Thomas's wife, Uh, burst in on them with a bunch of her friends who came with a bunch of knives and she had a gun that she took the magazine out of (laughs) to threaten earl thomas in bed i guess with these girls and his brother um but she still had a round in the chamber (laughs) she didn't realize that so the ravens actually apparently are thinking about cutting earl thomas which is interesting but never a dull day uh, in the afc north i guess
1: I did read the story. I didn't realize there was an orgy behind that. I thought it was just a common garden variety affair that she broke in on.
0: I don't know that we, you know, some of our audience might turn us off at certain points if we start getting into the exact numbers that qualify an orgy or not. But I heard orgy somewhere on Twitter, and I'm rolling with it because the Ravens suck, and whatever we can do to drag their name, I'll do it. And with I'll do it with a plum and without hesitation.
1: So the Steelers have a, an interesting schedule. I've seen where the an- analysis the analysis now <laughs> is, it is has this, we have the second easiest scheduling in the, in the NFL. I will say four primetime games. Oh, I hate those 830 games. But we have down the stretch, mm-hmm. three of the last six are 8 o'clock games or 830 games.
0: Yeah, it's usually how it goes for the studios, right? Remember, two or three years ago, every single game except for one in the second half of the season, like seven out of eight games were primetime. I mean, when you're the most compelling sports franchise in the history of mankind, I mean, the people got to see you. And I'm with you. It's a weird, it's a weird feeling because I love the night games uh, because. There's just nothing better than night football. Night football is better than day football, in my opinion. It's more epic. Obviously, you have everybody watching. It's the only game on TV uh, at the time, and the Steelers generally win more when they play in prime time. Now, last year they split the games, but that's without uh, Ben Roethlisberger. But then, of course, the trade-off is. You know, for somebody like you who's got to wake up early, and like I was doing for so long, you got to wake up a couple hours later, and then you and I got to find a way to pull the show together. So that can be a little tricky.
1: I think you you beat me to it. That that is my one complaint. I love looking forward to it. It gives you something all weekend. It clears your Sunday afternoon, especially on those nice sun. Yeah. Except this is going to be November and December, obviously. But man, especially if they don't win the game, it is. It just feels yeah. like a bad investment of time. Interestingly. There are eight home games and eight away games.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's how it usually works.
1: Look, there are only two back to back away games. Three of the last four games are away with us, um, but only two in a row during the whole season, which I think, you know, actually they're kind of sprinkled out there, sprinkled across nicely. Uh, A bye week in week eight, perfectly balanced. Wow, if you can yeah. do that, as far as a bye week goes. so Totally. Although, I don't know. Do you think that they would prefer to have a bye week even a little later as as injuries pile up? Yeah, or maybe. is that sort of a good break point? Do you, have you read anything about that?
0: I haven't read anything, but I would assume if I were a player, if I saw week eight as a bye, I'd love it. I'd be really cool with it. But maybe if you're on a team like the Steelers, who has playoff aspirations, yeah, it would be kind of cool to see it in week 10 or something a little bit later. But... I got to say i mean you can 't get any more perfect than week eight because sometimes if you get one a little bit later and maybe i 'm wrong i don 't remember how late they go when when teams stop having buys, but if you have it much later than week eight, you risk the uh, you run the risk of losing momentum if your team's starting to heat up and you don 't want to buy to break that up um, but let 's get to some. Like uh, broader concepts here as far as the schedule goes because I think there's this new uh, hacky trend that's going around for NFL analysts both Twitter, television or, or otherwise where they say the season like the schedule's out, it doesn't mean anything, you can't tell a single solitary thing about the schedule once it comes out because guess what every quarterback's going to be different for all 16 games and there's going to be injuries, okay, okay, okay I get what people are saying, and I do totally agree. When you see the schedule, it is impossible to predict how the team's going to do because there's too many factors that change. Like, if you look at the Steelers' schedule last year, you could say, oh, here's how this team was the, the prior year. How's, oh, oh, but what's it going to look like when you play all these teams without Ben Roethlisberger? Oh, okay. What's it going to look like when you play the San Francisco 49ers week three last year who who went from, like, a two-win team to a 14-win team? Now, by the way... If you check the record, I bet you we predicted that, um, not the 14 wins from the Niners, but we did know that Kyle Shanahan was playing without a starting quarterback the year prior, so we did know that the Niners would be a tough game. I digress. So what I'm trying to say is, of course, it's, it is is really difficult to tell what the what the season's going to look like because the injuries shape the year so much, and then there are always one or two teams uh, that kind of take a step out of nowhere where maybe when you play Joe Burrow and the Bengals in Week 15 – Maybe they are pretty great because, hey, they got some star receivers. They got star running back. Maybe Burroughs figured it out. You don't know. But I completely disagree with the fact that you can't tell anything about a schedule. And the big things that you can figure out are the beginning of the year. Do you start with a lot of away games? Are you starting against Tom Brady like it seems like we do Every year, Tom Brady and the Patriots, like, I can guarantee you that's going to be pretty tough. Or the Ravens in the first four games, I can guarantee you that's pretty tough. Or what about last year when you knew Russell Wilson and the Seahawks were going to come to town the third week? You know those are going to be pretty tough. So I do think you can look at at least the first four or five games and get a little bit of an idea of how the team's going to do. You can also look to see, does the team have to go to one of the sort of famed, difficult road stadiums like do you have to play in kansas city or seattle or new england or denver in a given year um things like that and then like you said where's the bye week and do you have a stretch of away games or home games so i do think you can tell some things about the season uh besides just being able to get excited about seeing the schedule released
1: i think uh a People want to talk about sports. This is a great one. I agree. You can have some bit of accuracy. This is you can be ten times more accurate, a hundred times more accurate than the mocks everybody spends so much time on going up to the draft. So why don't we do that? Why don't we walk through the first, let's say, quarter of the season? Here's also this is the other thing I wanna I wanna talk about. What would be the most critical injury losses we could suffer? Let's not Let's forget about the well, quarterback. We've already had that experiment. But what other positions could we – it would be just too big of a setback or uh, we could fill it in?
0: I almost don't want to think about that because that's depressing, but I guess the worst thing happened last year. I think we've kind of talked about it before. Like it's it's an emergency at safety if either one of those guys goes out. Um, Not being able to find the the, figure out this nose tackle thing is going to be tricky. Mike Tomlin actually spoke about that a couple days ago. Uh, The media asked him, what are you doing about this nose tackle position? And basically he said, we're just rolling with what we got. If another guy pops up, we'll find him. But Javon Hargrave was very flexible the past few years where he could play nose, but obviously also he's a defensive tackle. He said we still have McCullers who's here. Alulu has some experience in that capacity. So it was a little discouraging to be honest with you. It really was like, okay, we're going to roll the dice with this, but I guess it really is the No is only going to be on the field 30% of the time, so we'll see what they're able to do. But I think we've gone over some of the positions that have no depth with the, with the edge thing. It if if Butter TJ missed time, it would be a lot to expect out of out of um Highsmith to be able to step in there. You saw what T.J. Watt meant to the defense. You know what Cam Hayward means. You saw how much better they got when Minka was playing versus Minka not playing. So, yeah, that's kind of where my mind goes with that. But it is nice on offense to have some depth at running back and wide receiver, and maybe the offensive line getting restacked a little bit. So that's nice to see.
1: So the Steelers open on Monday night, September fourteenth, against and at the New York Giants. This is the they have played this game five times since Monday Night Football started going 4-1 and one in that period. What are your thoughts about the Giants?
0: Well, before I get to my thoughts on the Giants, I do just want to say it's funny because some people want to consider it hacky to go through and predict wins and losses. and We're not going to go past the first four games here because, like I outlined in a little ramble there, you you can't there's no freaking way you can predict the wins and losses all the way through the year. But I do think, like I said, it's interesting to look at the first four games or so. Now, the first thing that stands out to me about game one of the season, besides the fact that the Steelers are clearly head and shoulders a better team than the New York Giants. Now the New York Giants have some serious talent, I think. Saquon Barkley could be the best running back in the league if he gets any, should be the best running back in the league, is the best running back in the league, in my opinion, if he gets any type of blocking or passing game. I think Daniel Jones was the biggest shock I've seen at a, as a rookie quarterback who I didn't, I didn't think would be any good. And then he gets on the field and you realize, oh, not only can this guy move around and run, but he's got a much better arm than I thought, and he has a Ben Roethlisberger mentality in terms of he wants to go deep and throw the ball. So they do have some, some weapons. Um, the Steelers, uh, obviously this comes as no surprise, but their home record on Monday night games is pretty sterling, and they have a losing record on the road um, in those away games. But, again, I just think that the, the Giants are a team that's still figuring some things out. Um, they've got some good offensive and defensive line play, but the Steelers are head and shoulders a better team than them. The one thing I do wonder about is this is New York City week one. I, I honestly do wonder if COVID could affect this game and the location of this game or, or how it's going to be played. So it is interesting uh, that that's on the horizon. I love when the Steelers start the season in a primetime game. Um, I think that Ben and the defense traditionally start very slowly. It used to be you could only rely on Antonio Brown to have a big game the first week, and he would basically single-handedly save the team. I think TJ's had some good first weeks the past few years as well. But, yeah, the New York Giants still have to build their offensive line. They don't have much talent at all in the back end and the secondary. The Steelers are a better team. It's a night game. It will be a huge statement for Ben to be able to come out and play well uh, on the national stage that way, but... I don't, like we say, week one is generally a slop fest from the Steelers. I would think that they could squeak that out, though. I'd be very disappointed if they lost, so I'd predict the win for sure.
1: Actually, if you think back the last full, what, three full seasons, the last, the first three games actually have the harbinger of rust. Yeah, so, <laughs> Given that uh, Ben hasn't played in a year, that that also doesn't that, that that's also another factor I'd be looking to it's in the huge. first. Yeah, three we've games. never
0: seen him have to come back from something like that, so we'll see. But I will just tell you right now, the Steelers are head and shoulders a better team than the Giants. They're more talented, and they're better coached. I mean, the Giants have a brand new coach. Uh, Joe Judge, the special teams coach from the Patriots. So, obviously, he'll be familiar with the Patriots and, or with the Steelers, and he'll know some areas to attack. But the Steelers are the better team, and I like them opening in prime time. And uh, I, I think that that should be a win.
1: The Denver Broncos come, come into town with their 7-9 record from last year.
0: The Broncos, when I look at this game on the schedule... I say, thank God it's not in Denver. Because if it was in Denver, I'm saying the Steelers probably losing that game. They have so many issues playing in Denver. Now, the interesting thing about the Broncos is I think they've quietly assembled one of the most interesting, talented teams in the NFL. And I don't think they're going to be. I guess they could definitely make the playoffs this year with the expanded playoff field, but Drew Locke as the quarterback last year, I think surprised some people how well he played, but it's not like he had the kind of year that, you know, Baker Mayfield had his rookie year where you could extrapolate like, okay, this guy's already a good NFL quarterback. And I know there's people who might be yelling at me, listening to the podcast right now saying how Baker really fell off last year, but you know what I mean? Where it kind of came in and, and, He really is. I mean, Baker was incredible that rookie year. Now, Drew Locke, the sample size is small. But when he was good, he was very good. Extremely strong arm, decent improviser. And they have quietly assembled some serious offensive talent around him. Number one piece on their offense is Mike Munchak in his second year with their offensive line. And we know what he can do. And then Cortland Sutton, their starting receiver, first round receiver from a year ago a year or two ago. I can't remember what his first year was. He actually turned into a legitimate number one by the end of the year. And then, oh, yeah, they got Jerry Judy in the draft. Noah Fant, who started tearing it up at tight end for them last year. That was their one of their first-round picks, thanks to the Steelers, I guess, in the Devin Bush trade. They got uh, Philip Lindsay, who kind of tore the Steelers up a little bit last time the Steelers played them. And then they got um, Melvin Gordon in a trade, or they picked him up from the Chargers And then, obviously, we know Bradley Chubb comes back with Von Miller on defense, so they have a lot of talent is what I'm trying to tell you. And that offensive nucleus, that is explosive. Now, do I think that with Drew Locke leading the team by that point in the season, are they going to be a well-oiled enough machine to take down Pittsburgh? No. And, like I said, thank God it's in Pittsburgh. I think the Broncos could be a team to watch down the stretch once those young players get to gel and, and figure out what they're doing. But I do think that the Steelers would take that first game.
1: So in week three, we have a family reunion. We have J.J. Watt coming to town and the 10-6 and six Houston Tekken's Tek-
0: The Tekken's The Tekken. The, the best hope for that game is that the Steelers can convince J.J. to take the, the veteran minimum to you know, be part of something bigger than himself. If he's really such a family guy, then he'll defect to the Steelers that game and we'll all have our wish.
1: Is he going to come in with a broken wing? Do you think he's going to be in any kind of shape to play by the third week?
0: Oh, maybe. But just the presence of his greatness alone will be, you know, we got Cam Hayward rotating with J.J. Watt. I love it. This game is funny. The Texans are rightfully so the laughingstock of the league right now with Bill O'Brien um, somehow wheezling his way into the GM position after the Texans tried to steal New England's Player personnel guy Nick Casario last year or almost two years ago, the the New England Patriots caught them tampering and trying to steal this guy. So at that point, the Texans said, "Oh, never mind. We actually we don't want a GM Bill O'Brien, our super successful head coach who's won so many playoff games, and uh, yeah, he's going to be the GM. So he basically goes and trades two first rounders to get Laramie Tonso, uh, a, a top tier." tackle in the league, but not a top five kind of guy. And you got Kenny Stills, who's a decent wide receiver. Um, He failed to sign Laramie Tunsil to a long-term contract when he came in the door. Uh, So the way that ended was the way everyone anticipated it would end. And about a month ago, they made Laramie Tunsil the highest paid tackle by an absolute gargantuan margin because Tunsil was able to hold their feet over the fire because he was a free agent. And... If he walked, they would have traded two first-round picks for no reason. So he basically could ask for whatever he wanted, which they had to give. Uh, They did that, by the way, after they traded the best receiver in the NFL, basically. And DeAndre Hopkins away for a running back and David Johnson who hasn't had a meaningful season in three years. Okay, so anything else? Oh, yeah, they have a top-three quarterback in the NFL. Deshaun Watson is going to make plays against the Steelers. It doesn't matter who he has on his team. This guy... Is absolutely unbelievable. He's unstoppable, and it's not like the receivers totally suck. I mean, it's three weeks into the season, so Will Fuller, who's basically their version of Martavis Bryant, he's a four catch a game for 120 yards and three touchdowns type of guy. But he, I don't even know if he's played half the games in his career because he's always injured. If he's actually playing, it's already it's week three, so maybe he'll still be in. Kenny Stills is okay, you know. Deshaun can make some magic, but overall. <clears throat> Just not an impressive roster. And defensively, they've lost so much. They even, I think they signed Bla- Bradley Roby last year, but lost him. Um, they uh, uh, lost Jonathan Joseph. There's so many pieces that they're missing from the Houston Texans. Now, it's also in Pittsburgh, so that bodes well for the Steelers, although it bodes poorly for me because if they were in Houston, maybe I could have seen the damn Steelers this time around. But the Steelers should be 3 and 0 by this point because they are far more talented than all 3 of those teams on paper and they're more experienced than all of those teams. So I would think that that should be a win as well, even though we know how slow the Steelers like to start.
1: What do you think the Steelers are most susceptible to with
0: Watson? It doesn't that's the interesting thing about Watson. It it doesn't matter your scheme, it doesn't matter what team he's playing against. He's one of those players like a Russell Wilson or like Ben Roethlisberger when he's on fire or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers where it doesn't matter what you do. If you sack him, he will squeeze out of your grasp and he'll throw a touchdown. He can throw long, he can throw short, he can run, he can do everything. It's not like, the, like Drew Brees or Tom Brady who are going to beat 99% of the teams, but every once in a while they run into a team that gets incredible interior pressure, and that's like the Achilles heel for those guys. Because physically, they can't escape people. So there is actually a way to beat Brady and Breeze. It's just so incredibly hard to have a team that is good enough to get that in- interior pressure. It's not the case with Watson. It's just, it, you know, can his receivers get open on a a, um, a reasonable enough basis for him to put up big-time points? Because he's at the point right now where it doesn't matter how good the defense is. He's going to slip away.
1: Uh, even with our... Even with our bookends?
0: I mean, I don't. Add, there's just only so much he can do. Their receivers are just not that impressive. Their line is not impressive. Their running back is, you know, questionable. So he's going to be great. But is that going to be enough to beat the Steelers, who are just overwhelmingly talented? I don't think so. If the Steelers aren't doing their usual early season shenanigans of playing like crap. I mean, the Steelers have such a great matchup on this guy. I mean, look how phenomenal the Steelers were against Lamar Jackson in their meeting last year, right? I don't know if you remember, but the first half, Lamar was earning his Madden cover. I mean, it was like a video game out there. The, he was juking people out in the open field, but it wasn't really a result of a lack of discipline. It was just, oh my gosh, Lamar Jackson is so good that he can't be tackled. But then they bottled him up a little bit in the second half. You gotta think you have the two you have like the most athletic edge rushers, young, fast edge rushers in TJ and Bud. You have a middle linebacker in in um Devin Bush, who's as fast as Deshaun Watson, so he can spy him. You got all the pieces. And just overall, like I said, the Texans, they got some talent, and they have Superman at quarterback, but around him, I just don't know if there's enough there.
1: So let's figure the rust has been shaken off by week four, and we waltz into the Tennessee Titans 9-7 and seven last year.
0: Yeah, 9-7, and seven, but what did they... They lost most of those with Marcus Mariota in the beginning of the year, and then they went on absolute fire, won like eight games in a row, it felt like, beat the Ravens in the playoffs, actually played the Chiefs close for a little while, although the Chiefs were kind of playing everybody close in the playoffs for some reason. I think the Steelers are better than the Titans as well. Now, I think that if I'm looking at this realistically, I want to say the Steelers should win this game, but I'm going to say they're going to lose the game. Because we've just seen too many times in, in, the, in the first four games, the Steelers, they just drop one when they shouldn't drop one. And this one is on the road against a very physical, very well-coached and experienced team in Tennessee. So it's not like the Broncos where I, I'm looking at them like, they have a lot of talent, but they're not very experienced. This is a team who's done it before. Now, I think the Steelers are more talented than the Tennessee Titans on both sides of the ball. I know Derrick Henry is incredible, but I think – The Steelers generally do well when they're playing against teams who are predictable that way. Or let me put it this way. The Steelers really struggle against offensive coordinators who can confuse the crap out of you. Like we've seen with Sean Payton or Andy Reid or obviously Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick and those guys. The thing with the Titans is they're kind of like, we're going to show up, we're going to pass it 20 times, we're going to do big play action, and we're going to run up the middle and on the edges on you. And I think that that plays into the Steelers' hands, honestly. Because if you play the Steelers straight forward, that's the Steelers' game. Keith Butler can't cover your number one receiver with his middle linebacker if you don't know how to move your number one receiver around. And with the defense as well, uh, it's a well-coached defense. They have some talent. Did they lose Drell Casey? I actually can't remember. I think they might have. That's a huge piece on their defensive line. So I do think the Steelers are better than the Titans. But I just haven't seen the Steelers put together a good first four games in a long time, and if they're going to lose one, I think it will be the one on the road against an experienced team.
1: Do you remember what happened with Derrick Henry last year? If you look at his last six games, in one of those games he had 86 oh, yeah. yards. Everything else he had about 1,000 yards a game. He yeah. had almost 200 in two – well, he had a couple of 200-yard games – uh, and several, you know, hundred and forty yard games. I mean, but at the beginning of this season,
0: it's every year like that. They weren't go back two I mean, go back two years. Check it out. The year prior is like the same thing. It's it's an, and it's not because people were stopping him. It's cause they weren't giving him the ball. Yeah. It's a little weird that way. You got the cleaning crew in there.
1: <laughs> well our AM in Sawdust Studios, that's one of the uh that's a circular saw. We're making right. some we're making a bridge some decals okay so you're predicting the steelers to go 3 and 1
0: yeah and honestly when i look at it on paper there is no reason why they shouldn't go 4 and 0 they're better than all these teams i think the titans are good but like i've said and anybody's watched the steelers the only teams that ever scare you as a steelers fans are the ones with elite quarterbacks on on very good teams and with confusing pass attacks, especially in the Keith Butler era. It's like, ah, what is he doing? You can't put the number one receiver in the slot. You can't do that. Yes, you can, and now the Steelers have given up 30 points. When you just play the Steelers straight up, straight ahead, I mean – it's hard to beat them. And of course the worst example of that ever is the Jacksonville Jaguars playoff game. And that's the last time the Steelers ever had like a bruising straight, straight ahead, straight forward running back really crushed them that way with Leonard Fournette. But at that point with Shazier injured, Butler as the coach and just a complete lack of talent on the defense at that point. The Steelers couldn't stop anybody. Um, So I do think that the Titans play in the Steelers hands. I think the Steelers are better team on paper than the Giants they're better than the Broncos. They're better than the Texans, even with Superman playing quarterback for them. And the Titans are like a are a poor man's Steelers. They're a well rounded team with an offense and defense, but they don't they have a good quarterback, not a great quarterback, and they don't have a crazy offensive scheme, and they don't have a lot of receivers to speak of. Um, so. But well, if we've watched the Steelers struggle in the first four games just so many times. Honestly, they'll probably lose, like, the Giants or the Broncos game and then pull it together to beat the, the Titans in a nail-biter. But I just think that the Steelers should run some of those other teams out of the building.
1: If last year's schedule portends anything for next year or the coming year, the Steelers are playing teams with a combined record of 95 and 113. Eight of the 14 teams, 14 teams we play have losing records and at home it gets much worse I mean we're playing teams with a combined 44 and 68 record so' you're, you're playing teams understanding teams it's it's another year there's some new players but it's you know it's not so monumental you can't at least gauge what the game will be like
0: yeah like for instance let's just really quick go through the rest of the games the next game against is against Philadelphia who I think whether they go eight and eight last year but you got to remember Philadelphia had major major unbelievable injury problems last year. I mean, they were down to like a, a free agent, quarterback from the University of Houston as their number one receiver at, at, at one point last year so they're a team that might have a bad record but we know they're a well coached team we know Carson Wentz is a, is a phenomenal quarterback when he's healthy and when he actually has some NFL receivers around him which he should so they'll be better the Browns are the next week and hey I'm putting my hand up first I, I last year said there's no way the Browns aren't going to be good when they added OBJ and just that influx of talent and, and I was wrong I mean, they really blew it. So this year I'm trying to take my foot off the gas with that. But at the same time, it really is getting to the point where the level of talent they have is just unbelievable. I mean, they added Austin Hooper. They've got running backs to the equation. They added Conklin. They've got another starting offensive tackle in the, in the draft. I think they got Bill Callahan. Who's one of the other best offensive line coaches in the entire league. So that thing's really going to come together for them. And it, and, and, even if we don't know how good the the Browns are going to be, we know that they're at least a a formidable team. It's not like when you used to see the Browns on the schedule and it's like that's just an automatic win, even if Landry's in. So you know that's going to be tough. Then week seven you have the Ravens, say no more. Week nine you're at the Cowboys. Again, a confusing team that's, you know, maybe one of the two or three most talented teams in the league, but they're underperformers. But the Steelers always have good games against the Cowboys. And just with their offensive might alone – adding C.D. Lamb as a receiver with Mari Cooper and Dak and Zeke, and the line is not as good as it once was, but there's a lot of talent on that team. They get week 10 against the Bengals. You would think that the Steelers could handle the Bengals as they usually do, and I predict that they will, but damn, you got Joe Burrow in there. He's over halfway through the season. He could be good by that point. They still have A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. They added another receiver or two. Joe Mixon is a good running back who's holding out there's reason to think that they'll be really good you got the jaguars next you got the coolest quarterback in the history of the world gardner Minshew. there i'll say this though i don't know about you dad i don't know if you have the same feelings if we don't beat jacksonville by more than 30 i'm gonna be angry i want to bury that i will i will never (laughs) overcome that divisional playoff loss to them and all the trash talk they they gave us
1: are you still in therapy?
0: I need to get back in therapy for that day. That was a horrible. That was one of the worst days ever. Gardner Minshew. So you can keep going, and you say, "Okay, Ravens. We know the Ravens. Next week is against the Washington Redskins, who are just perennial basement dwellers. But if everything comes together for them, they might have the best defensive line in the entire league, and they have a good offensive line. Obviously, they added Chase Young. They have nothing but top ten picks on their defensive line. So their front seven's insane. That could be tricky." Um, then the Bills, I can't wait for the Bills game. Week 14 at Buffalo. The last time we were there, that was Le'Veon Bell in the snow going for like 300 all-purpose yards. Night game, Sunday night, 8.20 p.m. Eastern, and the Bills, they are frauds. The Bills are frauds, they're frauds, they're frauds. They beat Duck last year in a, in a nail-biter Okay, so the two best teams in the AFC are clearly the Ravens and and the Chiefs, unfortunately. I mean, they're just another step. Their talent is absolutely ridiculous. They have MVP. Both teams have MVP at quarterback. Both teams returned basically everybody from the year prior and then added major names. Like, the Ravens had an... We all know they had an incredible draft. They had a Clayus Campbell. They're going to be even better. So there is a war for third place in the AFC. Is it going to be... The Steelers, the Titans, no. Please, get the Titans out of here. That's the most boring team of all time. You know they're always going to come back down to earth. They might be good, but they're not scary. You need a great quarterback to be scary. The Bills are stacked. They added Stephon Diggs. They added a running back. Uh, who is it? Is it Zach Moss? Yeah, they added. They, they have a great defense. They have some experience. But I just don't care. They have Josh Allen. And I'm so pissed off that they got all this credit last year for uh, finally getting over the hill of Bill's futility. They actually won a big game in primetime. They beat the Steelers. They clinched a the playoff. playoff you beat Duck. You 17-10. You beat Duck. 17-10. <laughs> to 10. That's not a win. That's not a statement win. You beat a guy who didn't even make an NFL team that year. He was forced to join the NFL team because the Steelers lost so many quarterbacks. Like, And I love Duck. I really do. But that's not a proclamation. That is such a reach if you've ever seen one. And then they embarrass themselves in the playoffs when Josh Allen on a game-winning drive (laughs) laterals the ball to nobody. And, uh, yeah, I cannot wait for that game. And then the Steelers close with the Bengals, the Indianapolis Colts, who, have, who, who has any idea what they'll look like by that time. And then they end the season against the Browns. And, hey, there is a possibility that that could be a huge, huge game. We have seen the Steelers play the Ravens and the Bengals in Week 17 for playoff seeding, uh, the most sad one being when Le'Veon Bell – Uh, got his first major knee injury in Week 17 against the Bengals where the Steelers actually clinched a higher playoff seed due to their victory there. But this could be a classic AFC North, hey, whoever wins is getting a higher uh, playoff seed, or hey, whoever loses isn't making the playoffs kind of thing. So there are some things we can glean from the schedule even though so much is going to change between now and then.
1: Okay. I'd like to hear everybody else's opinion about what... um let's say at least the first quarter of the season will look like. Yeah. On to Jay Glazer. Glazer. He uh, He, of Fox, uh, you were trying to explain to me all the different things he's famous for.
0: So Jay Glazer is an NFL reporter. I don't know why sometimes he gets a bad rap because honestly he's a good reporter. He's the guy who broke the Odell Beckham Jr. news and said he was going to get traded and everyone called him an idiot. And then he got traded immediately. Um, So he really is plugged in. He knows some stuff. Excuse me. Also, he is generally a good dude because he does a ton of work uh, training people. Um, He does some MMA type stuff, but... He trains and has a lot of programs with uh, combat veterans and tries to reintegrate them into society and, and, and works with the therapy side of things, uh, the mental-emotional therapy, along with the physical therapy. So it's kind of cool hearing him talk about some of those things when he'll appear on podcasts, like Part of My Take or whatever. But he did say something stupid in one of his asked and answers recently where he, he pissed off the whole country, well, the, uh, the whole country Steelers fans, by saying, Basically saying Ben doesn't work out. Like the word fitness and Ben don't go together. Ben's idea of fitness, he said, is having a yogurt, a beer, and playing a couple rounds of golf. And Steelers Nation erupted, and they were angry about it. And I don't know. You and I have a couple opinions. On one hand, if you read the quote, it it does, to me, come across as a little malicious. It wasn't like when we poke fun at Ben, the greatest athlete in the history of mankind. Um, for not working out, it did sort of seem like a dig. And I read it, you know, as this guy who who runs workout facilities and that's such a big part of his life, I I wondered if there was some judgment in there. Um, But at the end of the day, you and I have pointed it out many times that, yeah, Ben doesn't really work out a lot, uh, especially if you compare him to his contemporaries, which is, you know, um, Brady and Breeze. It is funny that Philip Rivers doesn't look good. But he doesn't get any of the crap that Ben gets. Eli Manning looks horrible, but I guess Ben's so big and he looks like Will Ferrell, so he gets more crap for it. But, um, so it is funny that you know we've mentioned that before, and I have two things to say off of that. Number one, Jay Glazer, I understand he was poking fun, but it it di- it actually sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about because anybody who's followed the Steelers of last year, last three years, knows Ben actually has ramped up the off season training programs. And, of course, yeah, he's not Tom Brady or Drew Brees working out two times a day eating avocado ice cream, but he does have a personal trainer. He's working out five, six days a week, which for Ben, you know, that might as well be working out five times a day. And he is doing his part to stay in shape as a professional quarterback, and he is doing a lot to rehab the elbow, and apparently he's had a schedule. So it did sort of sound like Jay Glazer didn't realize that Ben has had an uptick in his, fi- in his physique over the last three years. And when you watch Ben on TV, he is skinnier than he was four years ago. So that's annoying. But then the other thing is with people getting mad about Ben not working out, you and I have pointed this out. Like, people are underselling that we have babe, the last Babe Ruth in professional sports. The last man who really doesn't take great care of his body, but still goes into the games, and he doesn't just thrive, he dominates. He's one of the best players in the history of the NFL, to play quarterback, and he has not needed to work out. He goes in there, and he just chucks touchdowns, and we're never going to see this again, people. Everybody who comes into professional sports now has a nutritionist, has a training program, and we're seeing this guy who legit, nah, don't need one. It's like Randy Moss, the the pregame interview with him. He said, they're asking, Randy, are you going to stretch? He said, I don't stretch, and he didn't. And he's the best receiver to ever play, basically. Warren Sapp didn't lift weights. He's the top 10 defensive tackle of all time. But you're not going to see these guys anymore. So I know everyone just wants to hate on Ben permanently because of the early career off-the-field incidents. But he should be celebrated for this Babe Ruthian style of professional athlete.
1: I wasn't mad about his comment. And, by the way, I'll read it. Uh, you started out, first of all, let's not put words... The words "fitness" and Ben Roethlisberger together—they are allergic to each other. There is no fitness in Ben Roethlisberger. His idea of a great off-season workout program is doing one yoga session, playing golf, and drinking some beer. Dot dot dot. I said yoga. And then he goes on. <laughs> then he goes on to to pay accolades to Tomlin and the fact he's never had a losing season. And uh, homage to some of the other Steelers who are no longer with the Steelers, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. That's not a big deal. As you pointed out, we we said that all the time, and I I don't even think it's mean-spirited. I think for him to say there is no fitness in Bethan Roethlisberger, again, don't do this stuff in a tweet if you care about it because it comes off like you're a jerk. The thing that... The thing that annoyed me is that when he was interviewed about this, he went on and on about, you know, me and Ben we're, were buddies. We talked. It's just locker room talk. This is what guys do. They call each other out. And to Ben's credit, you know, he didn't go on the radio for this one. As a matter of fact, I He's think learning. Ben's agent called Glazer, which is kind of, if I they're real.
0: Ben- Okay, so, yeah, there's a part two. Actually, apparently he apologized. Ben, I heard that Ben called Glazer and said that he was a little bummed when he saw the story and that Glazer apologized to him. But you're saying it was his agent? Not Ben's his agent, agent
1: but his, Glazer went on to say that he and Roethlisberger recently talked to each other after the quarterback's agent called to say his client was upset. Did, he, did Ben talk to his dad? Damn it. <laughs> Tell man. him to go call him.
0: No, I don't know. I think Ben's a old school NFL like celebrity that way. Where I, I, you know, once again, caveat: this is my favorite athlete of all time. But um, I, I could, I could see him being like, "You got to go through my agent first. That could be considered insulting in a lot of circles. Also, by the way, like if you don't call him personally, you get the agent to call. But who knows what it was? Maybe Ryan Tollner actually called Glazer out of his own volition, or, or. We don't know what the actual story is, but I do hear that Glazer apologized to Ben and Ben talked about it. And you're right, to Ben's credit, thank God he didn't bite back in the media. Maybe he is learning, you know, 16 years in.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing is that, uh, Glazer, just stand by your story. Just all this backpedaling was just kind of annoying because this is a big nothing burger to me and uh, a distraction for the next story. May I? Sure. I Hit it. So. I just read an article about how the collective bargaining agreement that was just signed made major changes to the disability plan. And this gets a little bit there's there is a, it's a little bit esoteric. And I, I actually took the time to pull both of those contracts out and try to decipher the this disability clause. Essentially, one of the big things that, that there are two big things happening. One, in the last contract. A guy getting disability payments could also collect Social Security disability, and he'd have full the full weight of both of those payments. In the new contract, the disability payments are going to be reduced by the amount of money that uh, the player gets from Social Security disability insurance. So this could be, you know, th- this could be a major blow to what they're what they're getting. I mean, under the current contract, there are. Four tranches or four categories of disability payments. There's one if you get hurt while playing. There's one if you get hurt while you're a player but you didn't get hurt during a game. Then there is the group of people who have been inactive for fewer than 15 years. And then the last group is guys who need disability after they've been out of the league for 15 years. So four categories. You know, the higher you are in those categories, the more money you get. You can get two, an active football player can get $250,000 a year. But so it might not matter that much to that guy. But a guy whose whose disabilities emerge 15 years after he's played is going to get fifty thousand dollars a year. If he gets twenty five thousand dollars from Social Security, in the last contract he'd have a total of seventy five thousand. You with me? Yeah. Now, it's just going to be the greater of the. Two, he's going to get the greater of the two payments. So, if he's going to get fifteen fifty thousand disability payment. 20,000 social security they're going to reduce his disability by 30,000 so or 20,000 I think that's uh I mean it's a way to obviously a way to save money out of the disability fund and it's going to screw some of these guys because they have become used to, to sort of double dipping if you will
0: yeah it's well it's interesting now checking back in on the CBA we spent so much time talking about it it got ratified if you will and now here we are moving on with it. It's nice to come back in and check on the progress. Because one thing we did mention during the CBA negotiation period was, hey, this affects former players, retired players, as well as current players. And that's a big blow. And that sucks. And it's it's interesting to see because, I don't know, I could be oversimplifying here, Dad, and you let me know. But th- this sort of backs up my... I don't even think this is a theory, this is just the reality that the owners it's it's all business. It's only business. There is zero care about like a player's personal health or welfare unless it affects their public the the team's public perception, which therefore affects the wallets, which therefore brings it back to it's only about money because after all of this um, backlash popped up against the NFL when the concussion stuff started coming out, the CTE stuff started coming out. The NFL tried to make concessions to make the game safer. All the insane uh, can't hit the receiver in any part of his body rules that nobody can ever obey. Um, The the reducing padded practices, whatever that is. And now that the heat has has come off a little bit, well, now we're going to add an extra game to the NFL season. Oh, now we're going to not pay some of these guys who, who played in the era when there was pad of practices every single day of the season. We're not going to help them as much with the medical benefits. It just seems slimy to me.
1: Well, hold that thought because I have a punchline after I tell you about these other two changes. The other change, one of the other significant changes is under the old policy, disabilities were defined by uh, Social Security. So Social Security said you were dis- disabled, the NFL accepted that as your diagnosis. Now, in the new contract, it is the NFL doctors who will say whether or not you're disabled and entitled to any payment. And goodness knows, now that, we, we've seen this before, right? Whether these are these doctors going to be conservative when they know how much money is going to be paid out based on this, or is there, there going to be a lot of arbitration? So the players mm. lost on that, on that. Um so the last thing I'd say is listen to these payments. So remember I told you that there were four classes of payments. Right. The first class is the best $250,000, 150,000, 120,000 and 50. They're all yeah. going to be reduced to no this is a way in, into the future, but in 2031 those things are all going to drop to $48,000.
0: With, with a decade plus of inflation on medical prices as well. Yes.
1: So here's the punchline. All this money that gets contributed to the, pe- to the disability plan comes from the player's share of the revenue. So it ain't the, it's not the owners who are starting to constrain the dis- disability payments. It's the players who said, yeah, we're going to put less money into the old guy's kitty. So there's more money for us.
0: Do you think that there's strategic... That. Okay, go for it. Keep going. Not only that,
1: Eric Reed has filed a... Um, I think uh, he's filed yeah. a suit so that they're, they they changed the language in the contract after the players ratified it and before the final vote. And I saw the tweet. I mean, they changed the language. And then J.C. Treder, who's the NFLPA president, admitted we need, to, we need to re-examine this. And you and I talked about this uh, a week or two ago. How can they change the contract? Well, the players, the the owners might be amenable to it because it doesn't change their pocketbook one way or another if the players decide to reallocate their funds from you know current salaries to the disability plan. So Mm -hmm. this thing is a mess all around. You can attribute some of this to the owners because like maybe they should have a common fund with the players to contribute to this to save disability plan. But right now, it's the players who decide how to allocate their share of the what the forty seven and a half percent
0: why do you think that the player the current players would want this deal do you think that it's hey if we keep those old medical prices we're not going to get to get paid more now as current players and then hey maybe we're not worried about our medical payments in the future because if we're making all this money now we have more financial information and, and advice than the players of the past have so we can actually put some of this money away in case of medical issues or and then also implying that like we don't care about what happens to the retired players or I mean it's obviously so much more complicated than that.
1: Well I think it's in a way it's a spiritual question right because you have no idea what your medical bill is going to be like in the future and even the guys at the salaries they're making today most of them aren't making lifetime money but if you get a um I mean, if you get $4 million in your first contract, I, I'd like to know, actually. It'd be interesting to find out how much the average NFL player gets in his first contract and how long he lasts in the league. That's not yeah, enough to pay for. Okay. And yeah. how much money does he get over that time? That, that would be interesting. So most of these guys, and look how many guys did not vote. How many players did not vote for this contract? Didn't vote no, didn't vote yes, just decided not to vote. So it's a, first of all, it's, it's, a small majority who actually even vote one way or another for this contract. They're voting on behalf of people who can't vote, you know, the sort of disenfranchised retired players. So it's, it's a very, um, you're right. It's very complicated.
0: Do you have a stance now that we've kind of got all this information presented? Do you have a stance uh, on this issue in general? You think that the current players made a mistake? You think that this is a broken system, Uh, Or there's really nothing much that people could do. Do you have a particular take on all that information? I know that's kind of a broad brush to paint with, but
1: well, let's let's. I mean, let's face it. It it is so funky because this is not a steel mill where the guys in the union are working in the steel mill for thirty-five and forty years. This is a contract. This is why the NCAA players can't organize. First of all. So nobody, there. Only the guys from Northwestern are smart <laughs> enough to figure it out. And there just aren't enough who, who are at a high level and who care about everybody else in the NCAA. Right. I mean, these guys have very short, very short lifespans in, it, in the NFL. They probably don't even realize how the system works. So they totally are at, at the behest of the NFLPA. Um, how you do this stuff, I I I think a, a medical an analysis of the medical situation with all the facts and not all the you know sort of the spin on what happens to these guys is necessary before you can assess what these guys needs are going forward. And I, I don't think it's I think it might get better for the current players because they're training, but guys right. are faster and stronger right. and bigger than they were in the past.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, I think the other guys are going to die so much less. Off. Go, you think the other guys are going to die off like the old, like the old players? I think
1: like I think the older players are going to die earlier, and these guys are going to last longer, but they're going to be sicker longer.
0: That's yeah, an interesting, sad, dark place for us to end the podcast, but <laughs> it is good to know about these issues.
1: Well, the good news is the Steelers are going to go three and one in the first uh, at the at the beginning of the season. I
0: really think they should. I I really do. I think that we can cite the fact that the defenses had a year together and they are returning basically all the starters. Uh, so they should be able to hit the ground running a little bit better than what they've done the past few years on that defensive side of the ball, especially when you consider they're not playing any offensive geniuses, which is usually the, the Achilles heel for the Steelers, mm-hmm. as any team, but particularly for the Steelers. And just, yeah, so much of this re- revolves around How ready are they going to be with a lack of preparation time due to COVID? But everybody's uh, competing with that. So the Steelers' collective experience as a team should help from that angle. And let's just keep our fingers crossed for Ben that maybe that year off gave him um, a little bit of perspective. That does happen to a lot of players. People will say that, even if it's a couple games off. Like, hey, i got to see the game from a a different perspective on the sideline and realized maybe I'm making this a little bit harder than I should be making it. Like, there's some stuff out there that I can take. So I'm sure there will be some positives from that angle. I think Bruce Arians said in an interview this week that Ben was actually hurting for a year. Um, That's the first time we've ever heard anyone really say that. Pouncey sort of alluded to it. So maybe Ben will be feeling even better um, arm-wise by that point. But there's just so many question marks. But at the end of the day, even with the question marks, I'm looking at those first four teams, and the Steelers are more talented than all of them. And then, and then that conversation changes a little bit further. You
1: get Visit the website, SteelersOutpost.com. Check us out on Instagram at Steelers outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers outpost or shoot us an email at Steelers outpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening until next week. Go Steelers. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret.